Woodhouse Nissan offers a variety of SUVs and crossovers to fit your lifestyle. Whether you're looking for an SUV with high towing capability or a crossover with all-wheel drive, you can expect a variety of safety features, plenty of seating, ample cargo space, and innovative design to tackle virtually any adventure. Explore the Nissan lineup of SUVs and crossovers featuring Rogue, Rogue Sport, Kicks, Murano, Pathfinder, and Armada. Visit one of our two Nissan locations or shop online at woodhouse.com. This is America with Rich Valdez, powered by PolitiWeek.com. And Rich Valdez is with us, former Christie administration official. You worked for Chris Christie, you've been in politics, done a lot of public service stuff. Rich Valdez, columnist now with the Washington Times. This is America. Richie V, you're on the air with the nation. The nation. This is America with your host, Rich Valdez. What's up, America? It's Rich Valdez, your liberty-loving Latino amigo, 17 floors above Madison Square Garden right here in New York City, and you're listening to the This Is America podcast. On Tuesday this week, I had the opportunity, the grand opportunity, to fill in for the great one, Mark Levin, on his nationally syndicated radio show, heard coast-to-coast on hundreds of radio stations. So I want to encourage you to go check that out at marklevinshow.com. But before you do, I want to give you a taste of what the introduction was like. Check out my opening comments. Liberty's making a comeback. Freedom is back in fashion. I want to look at some of the news that happened over the the last couple of days. The Wisconsin Supreme Court, just a few days ago, they ruled that the stay-at-home orders were not lawful because the legislature wasn't involved in extending them. Well, amen and hallelujah to that. This led to people bellying up to the bar and making a toast to liberty all over the state. So that's something I'll drink to. Salute. Then we saw New York City with the mayor's announcement that cops are no longer going to be ticketing and arresting people for not wearing masks. Liberty is making a comeback. And just yesterday, we heard about the New Jersey gym where members in masks rallied to get in and exercise, and then the cops showed up to inform them that they were in violation of an executive order, a stay-at-home order. And they kindly said, before they left peacefully, excuse me, peacefully, or peaceably, however you like, have a nice day. The cops stepped off. Now, not totally, the government's still coming at them, but we're going to get into that in a little bit. Then there's the 77-year-old barber in Michigan. Now, I really relate to this uh, barber named Menke in Michigan because many of you don't know, unless you listen to the This Is America podcast, that I was a barber. I spent many years as a barber, and I'm kind of like a barber in retirement. I opened a shop when I was 16 years old. I was still in high school, so I had to finish my senior year at night to get my uh, high school diploma so I could go to school in the daytime to learn how to be a barber and get the permit and all of that, and run my small business. I could only do that because I live in America and because I drank the Kool-Aid that my parents gave me, right? And I don't mean literally, but they taught me that I could do all things. My dad would tell me in his, uh, you know, thick Puerto Rican accent, you can do anything if you put your mind to it, Richard. And I would say, yes, sir. So that's the truth. We can do all things. This is America, and liberty is making a comeback. So I salute Mr. Menke, the barber in Michigan, 
And we're going to get to that, too, because there's a lot going on with that that's developing. I am just a kid from Brooklyn with parents born in Puerto Rico that taught me how to work hard and be an American. The theme here is that we have to believe in ourselves and our country to know that we can, to not be afraid. This barber that I'm referring to, the 77-year-old man that's refusing stay-at-home orders in Michigan, he wasn't afraid to stand up. Shelley Luther in Texas, she wasn't afraid to stand up. We can't be afraid to stand up for our rights. We can't be afraid to fight for our freedom. We can't be afraid to rise up and protect America. So we can pass on the liberties and traditions that we've enjoyed to our children, to offer our children and our children's children and future generations a better America than we enjoyed. Just like my mommy and my papi and my abuelita did for me, your families have done for you and your future generations. Those that worship at the altar of big government are being reminded by patriots who haven't forgotten our liberty comes from God and not from the government. So I applaud all of my fellow Americans who haven't forgotten that. Because you know what this does for all of us? At least you know what it tells me? It tells me that we must be of good courage. We must take risks. We must not relent to tyranny because Americans are brave. As Americans, we have to take hold of our liberty and we're doing that right now. And we must never let it go from our grasp, ever. Power must remain with we the people. If not, we lose. Our rights are natural rights, God-given rights. They come from God, not any government, not local, state, or federal. So when I say to you that American liberty is making a comeback, that's exactly what's happening. This is a renaissance period here in America. We're seeing things, the coronavirus is like sandpaper. And sandpaper is a little rough to the wood at times when you have to sand something down. But if you sand it enough and use the right grit, it starts to bring out the smoothness of the wood. And right now, America, we're going through some grit, and those that have grit are going to get through. American liberty is making a comeback, and we're just getting started. That's right, liberty is making a comeback. We are getting away from the FDR-style days of Barack Obama. Going back to basics, that's what America needs. So keep it locked right here, because we've got more to come as we look back at how exactly Obama manipulated the government for his benefit. Plus, some philosophical musings. I'm Rich Valdez, you're listening to This Is America. This is America. All right, America, welcome back. This is Rich Valdez. I'm still here, 17 floors above Madison Square Garden, right here in New York City. The rotten apple, the big apple, the greatest city in the world, the capital of the world. And as we look at all the information that's coming out about President Obama, I can't help but think of how he prostituted the Department of Justice for his own benefit in the past. December 10th, 2014, Forbes.com. Obama Justice Department was involved in IRS targeting. 
Learner emails reveal. Now, this article is old, but to quote the article, it says, sadly, the 18-month investigation into the IRS targeting of conservative groups isn't over, and it may be worse than anyone thought. A federal judge has broken loose more emails than the DOJ had hoped would ever surface, and the picture it paints isn't pretty. The documents prove that Lois Lerner met with the Department of Justice's Election Crimes Division a month before the 2010 elections. Here's a couple of quotes from heavily redacted emails. Hi, Lois. It's been a long time, and you might remember. I'm working on blank, blank redacted duties. I'm looking forward to meeting with you. Can we chat in advance? Mrs. Lerner's response on October 2nd, 2010. Sure, that's a good idea. I have a meeting out of the office on Monday, but I will try you when I get back sometime in the afternoon. Or you can try me, and she gives her phone number. Then Lerner emails the chief of staff to the acting IRS commissioner, Stephen Miller, a woman named Nicole Flax. She'll later be fired by Obama, but here's what the email says. I got a call today from Richard Pilger, director of the election crimes branch at DOJ. He wanted to know who at the IRS, the DOJ folks, could talk to about Senator Whitehouse or Senator Whitehouse's idea at the hearing so the DOJ could piece together false statement cases about applicants who quote-unquote lied on their 1024s, saying they weren't planning on doing political activity and then turning around and making large visible political expenditures. DOJ is feeling like it needs to respond but want to talk to the right folks at IRS to see whether there are impediments from our side and what, if any, damage this might do to IRS programs. I told him that it sounded like we might need several folks from the IRS. These emails go on and on and on. This is a scandal that few people remember, but if you don't believe me, just put in IRS targeting. And you'll find Wikipedia. Even Wikipedia acknowledges. Here's a quote from Wikipedia. The IRS scandal redirects here. For other scandals involving the IRS, see the list of Internal Revenue Service political profiling controversies. In 2013, the United States Internal Revenue Service revealed that it had selected political groups applying for tax-exempt status for intense scrutiny based on their names or political themes. This led to wide condemnation of the agency and triggered several investigations, including a Federal Bureau of Investigation, FBI, criminal probe ordered by the United States Attorney General Eric Holder. This, of course, is referring to the Tea Party, patriots, conservatives, that were trying to open up political groups to raise money so that they could continue the Tea Party movement. And because Obama and his henchmen within the IRS, like Lois Lerner and others, Attorney General Holder and others, they knew that you could stifle the flames of the Tea Party movement if you take away their money. If you don't let them raise more money, they can't move forward. And that's what they did. And that article is available on Wikipedia if you want to check it out. And I don't think Wikipedia is the most reliable source. But when even Wikipedia has the facts right, you know that in 2010, 2013, 2014, 2015, this was a thing. Not Barack Obama's first rodeo in weaponizing parts of the government to get at political opponents. Next exhibit. Find your next truck at Woodhouse Buick GMC. No matter where you're heading or what tasks need tackling, there's a premium and capable GMC truck that's perfect for you. Make a statement on the job site. 
out on the town, or wherever life leads you in the powerful and distinctive Sierra 1500, or elevate your driving experience in the adventurous and innovative canyon. Explore our inventory online at WoodhouseBuickGMC.com or visit our indoor showroom today. Woodhouse Buick GMC, we are professional grade. March 7, 2015, Senator Ted Cruz suggests political motivation behind pending Menendez indictment. You may remember that Senator Bob Menendez, a Democrat from New Jersey, was facing federal corruption charges over gifts from donors. This is uh, from The Guardian. Senator Cruz alleges that the leak of the pending indictment against Menendez may be a politically motivated act of retaliation by Barack Obama and the Democrats in the Department of Justice. Speaking to reporters at the Iowa Agricultural Summit in Des Moines, Cruz said he found it awfully coincidental that the charges were reportedly set to be brought against Menendez, a leading Democrat and critic against Obama's Middle East policy, specifically referring to the Iran deal. Menendez has been in politics for a long time. And this investigation into him went on a long time. And I'm not saying whether he's guilty or not guilty. My focus is on Obama and how he even turned on his own people when they didn't go lockstep with him. And the reason they didn't is because Menendez knows foreign policy, serving on the Foreign Policy Committee in the Senate, he understands the threat that these types of regimes pose because he has family in Cuba. And even though he's a Democrat, he's still tough on Cuba because he knows right from wrong. He's not blind. So when he sees President Obama trying to lurch more and more to the left, he steps in and says, I don't think this is a good idea. The investigation was regarding his ties to Solomon Melgen, a wealthy donor. The two vacationed together in the Dominican Republic, and Menendez has advocated for policy changes to Medicare reforms, which would financially benefit Mr. Melgen. Cruz says it's a troubling coincidence. I say this is exactly what Obama did to Flynn, another critic of the Iran deal, another Democrat. Maybe Flynn wasn't a Democrat. We don't know. I don't know. I do know that he was nominated and appointed by Obama and confirmed to serve as the Defense Intelligence Agency director under Barack Obama. So at one point, he was good enough for Obama. When he went against him on the Iran deal and said, that's not a good idea, all hell broke loose. When Flynn recommended a tougher stance on ISIS, no bueno. So when they hear that Flynn is going to become Obama's enemy and Trump's new national security advisor, uh uh-oh. Something's wrong. The fact is that President Obama has a long history of doing this. And the leftover henchmen from the Obama administration working deep within the government during Trump's first term are doing the same thing. Using their power, I should say abusing their power, to take out a political opponent. That's not the intention of government. That's how they do it in banana republics. That's how they do it when FDR was around. But that's not what the United States is all about. And it's not the expectation of the American people. So let me know what you think about that. I'm at Rich Valdez on Twitter, at Rich Valdez with an S. And keep it locked right there. When we come back, I want to talk to you a little bit about philosophy as it pertains to this whole coronavirus stuff. I'm Rich Valdez. This is America. What's up, America? Welcome back. I'm still here. Rich Valdez, 17 floors above Madison Square Garden. And we're talking about philosophy. 
I was looking at some tweets, and uh, a professor that I follow on Twitter, Robbie George from Princeton University, put up a tweet that I found interesting. And he's suggesting that civil liberties are the common good. We don't choose between them if we understand each of them. And by them, he's saying, do we make a choice between civil liberties or the common good with respect to reopening, with respect to the coronavirus? And again, he wraps it up in saying that civil liberties are the common good. And I tend to agree with that. And I would say that a step further that they are the greater good. So when people are saying, yeah, but if we open up too soon, people might die. I've said it before and I'll probably turn blue in the face saying it again. The phrase is give me liberty or give me death. Live free or die. So the greater good is liberty because without it, we've surrendered all. I like to wrap my head around philosophical ideas every now and again. And there's some great thinkers out there. Another one that I follow is uh, G.K. Chesterton, Catholic philosopher. He always has something uh, witty to say. And I just thought he was cool because he was a fat dude and he smoked cigars and, you know, kind of reminds me of Churchill in a way. Chesterton has a quote where he says, so far as American democracy becomes or remains Catholic and Christian, that democracy will remain democratic. Insofar as it does not, it will become wildly and wickedly undemocratic. Now, this is something I can wrap my head around because it echoes what the founders said about virtue. Like when George Washington said, virtue or morality is a necessary spring of popular government. Can it be that providence has not connected the permanent felicity of a nation with its virtue? There is no truth more thoroughly established than that exists. An indissoluble union between virtue and happiness. Of all the dispositions and habits which lead to political prosperity, religion and morality are indispensable supports. In vain would that man claim tribute to patriotism. Who should labor to subvert these great pillars of human happiness? these firmest props of the duties of men and citizens. And he goes on, reason and experience both forbid us to expect that national morality can prevail in exclusion of religious principles. The aggregate happiness of society, which is best promoted by the practice of a virtuous policy, is, or ought to be, the end of all government. And that's George Washington. Those quotes from George Washington, our most famous founding father, I think they are pretty clear that a country who's based on liberty, or that's based on liberty, where citizens are granted liberty by God and not their government, can only be held together by policy and people that see the value of and practice virtue that place a premium on morality. I'm not claiming to be the most virtuous or moral person, but God, I know the difference between right and wrong. And I think like so many of you, I try to choose the right thing over the wrong thing most times. So back to Chesterton, when he says, Insofar as American democracy becomes or remains Catholic or Christian, that democracy will remain democratic insofar as it does not 
it will become wildly and wickedly undemocratic. And we are seeing authoritarianism rise up right now. And I can't help but think, is that why? Is it because we've placed morality, we've replaced the Judeo-Christian founding of our country and those documents, the Holy Bible, the Ten Commandments, aside? Have we put them asunder? Is that why we have generations of young people, my age and younger, that no longer believe in an absolute truth, that accept secular humanism, that accept moral relativism, that have dispensed with a worldview, whether it be a Christian worldview, a Judeo-Christian worldview, any type of virtuous or moralistic worldview, and replaces it with one's own view. It's akin to me saying, well, the Constitution's good for you if you like the Constitution, but for me, I prefer my Constitution. In my Constitution, nobody should have guns. In my Constitution, you shouldn't have free speech. You start saying things that I don't like, how dare you? How dare you say that? This is the problem that we face today. People have abandoned absolute truth. Relativism is run amok. Same with idealism. When we practice on creating our own ideas or ideals and pursuing them, even if they're not true, we're in trouble now. Those idealistic Americans, ideologues on the left and on the right that make up their own truth and throw words around as if it means whatever they want it to mean, not whatever it really means under the law, under the Constitution, under God, are reckless and irresponsible with respect to what we need to do in America. So that was what I was pondering, and I wanted to share it with you. As always, I thank you for listening, because your support means absolutely everything to Mr. Producer and me. Every time we see a five-star review, a thumbs up, a tweet, a retweet, the retweets are always so helpful in growing the program. Sharing them on Facebook is always so helpful. So please make sure you follow at Rich Cementa, follow at Rich Valdez, so we can keep in touch with you. And feel free again to leave a review and let us know what you think and give us some feedback. Of course, everything that's related to the program is available at richvaldez.com. Therichvaldez.com is our website for all things This Is America. And we're very grateful for all of the kind words. As always, I'm going to leave you with my final thoughts, an admonition from Hamilton. If you stand for nothing, you'll fall for anything. And one from Sir Edmund Burke, that all that is necessary for evil to triumph is for good people like you to do nothing. So don't do nothing. Get up and do something. Become an activist. Get out there. Forget telling your neighbor. Go tell somebody else's neighbor. It's time for you to take the bull by the horns and take charge. This is an information war, and you've just become a general. I'm Rich Valdez, and this is America. This is America. 